0: Learn more at marines.com. Welcome back to the Go Gamecocks podcast presented by the state newspaper. I'm Andrew Ramspacker back in the host chair alongside South Carolina women's basketball beat writer Greg Hadley. And the reason why we are in switched roles to begin this episode is because we have some breaking news when it comes to uh, the South Carolina women. As we record this here on Monday, January 13th, South Carolina is number one in the country, uh, according to the Associated Press poll that came out. Greg, I guess we'll start with, this shouldn't seem like a surprise. South Carolina 16-1, obviously a bunch of quality wins and and quality wins by large margins. But it took a little bit of a uh, wild week across the landscape in women's college basketball for this to, to finally happen, for this team to reach the top.
1: Yeah, I mean, we talk about parity every year in women's basketball just because Connecticut and Tennessee dominated the landscape for so long, but this might be the greatest amount of parity we've seen in the sport in well over a decade. We've already had Oregon, UConn, and Stanford hold the top spot, and this past week, number one UConn, number two Oregon, number three Oregon State all go down, the latter two both to one team, unranked Arizona State. And I think there was a little bit of nervousness among Gamecock fans because the team that beat UConn, number six Baylor, there were some rumblings that they might even pass them for the number one spot. They end up, I think, getting seven first place votes. South Carolina gets 20. The point you made about getting big wins over quality opponents it really stands out because I believe the Gamecocks lead the country in top fifty RPI wins and also ranked opponent wins. They defeated five ranked opponents this year. They've really kind of taken on all comers and done a very good job with it. Don Staley is known for scheduling a tough slate for a squad, and you know that was a really big selling point on the resume this week.
0: Speaking of what's happened this week, uh, South Carolina rolls into the number one spot coming off of an offensive tear. I think the last time we were on this podcast, Greg, uh, we talked a lot about what this team can do defensively, particularly what it did in that Kentucky game, how that really stood out. Just to show this incredible balance (laughs) on this team. Here we are a week later, and we're talking about the other side and that that offense, which has now scored 90-plus points in four consecutive games. That's obviously very impressive. What, in your mind, has, has led to this kind of offense explosion here, and how dangerous now does this team become even more considering the defensive prowess?
1: Yeah, I mean, I wrote about the defense last week, and it was true at the time they were putting up really good numbers. Don Staley was not super pleased with the numbers they've given up in those ninety points games in terms of defense. But the offense has been incredible. I think the real two keys to it have been a pair of freshmen. You have freshman guard Zaya Cook, who in the third game of her career went back to her home state of Ohio and put up twenty seven points against Dayton. A real coming out moment for her. Everyone was very excited. And then for the next six or seven games she kind of regressed a little bit, especially from an efficiency standpoint. She was taking a lot of shots. She's Not a player who's afraid to call her own number, but she was missing a lot, scoring under 10 points pretty regularly, and especially over the past, say, seven games, she's put it back together. Much more efficient from the field, a lot better shot selection, learning when to make that extra pass versus go for herself. She's still the kind of player who can take over when needed and be extremely acrobatic and athletic, but... She scored something like 20 points in consecutive games, put up a team-high 17, I believe, against Vanderbilt on Sunday. So I think she's been really important. And then the other freshman, of course, is Aliyah Boston, who also started off the season on such a tear, really kind of ascended to, I think, front-runner status for the National Freshman of the Year. But you saw teams adjusting by just kind of collapsing on her, really challenging her to, you know, either make the pass or fight through a lot of contact to the basket, and especially against Arkansas and Vanderbilt. their two games this past week. They made adjustments that really opened her up, and some of it was just these were, especially Arkansas was a smaller team, so she was able to take advantage of that. But she really has been quite dominant. Against Arkansas, she pulled down 25 rebounds, one off the program record, more than even Asia Wilson ever did. So I think those two really have been kind of the key for this offensive explosion.
0: A stat you dug up, Greg, in reference to the offensive tear that Don Staley's team is on. South Carolina has scored 90-plus points, this four-game stretch, all coming in SEC play, which already sets the program record. Obviously, there's a ton of games left (laughs) in conference, which tells you a little bit about just, again, we've talked about the potential of this team. It's already showing that the ceiling just keeps getting higher and higher.
1: Not only that, but as I was scrolling back through the record books, this was the first four-game stretch I could find where they've scored 90 or more points in a row against any competition. So, I mean, especially in the early season when you're kind of taking on lesser opponents, sometimes you can hit that number pretty easily, but this is something they've never done before. Arkansas coach Mike Neighbors, who reached the Final Four with Washington a couple years back after South Carolina took down his team pretty efficiently, went so far as to say he thinks this might be the best team he's ever seen Dawn Staley have even better than the 2017 national championship team so that gives you kind of a, a sense of their stock is rising very quickly I think it's a thing of with that really talented freshman class everyone knew this was coming I just don't think everyone expected it to be this quickly
0: obviously you have the freshmen we've talked about them a bunch but let's not forget there are some veterans on this team Ty Harris Kiki Herbert Harrigan the uh the leaders of this team the ones that have been around the longest part of that national championship team that you referenced so they have a feel I guess probably that'd be probably a good question to ask them what was that like being on the the 2017 team then compare it maybe to this team uh looking down the line but obviously those two have contributed to this team as well in what ways how do you think they've blended so far with this star-studded freshman class
1: well, I've been especially impressed with Ty Harris. She, against Vanderbilt, moved into the number two all-time for South Carolina's career assists. She's upped her scoring even more from her first three seasons when Don Staley kind of was maybe pushing her to be a little bit more aggressive, but she was trying to be more of a facilitator. And really something that stood out to me is how much Coach Staley has said over and over again that this whole thing doesn't work without senior leadership. They might not always be the most statistically important players in terms of they might not lead the team in points, rebounds, all that kind of thing. But a player like Harris, a player like Herbert Harrigan, they kind of hold it all together. They give that really important experience factor. And I think especially you've seen in whenever things have gotten even a little tight, it's been Harris and Herbert Harrigan that have taken over and kind of made things comfortable again against Vanderbilt this past Sunday. The Commodores closed it within three at one point. And then Herbert Harrigan steps back and drills a three. And all of a sudden, it's off to the races again.
0: Talk about Vanderbilt narrowing the gap in that game. That's about as much as South Carolina's had to sweat so far in SEC play. Has not trailed at any point in SEC play to this point through four games. There hasn't been a lot of tight moments late. And that's a credit to how South Carolina's coming out of the gates. How important has that first 10 minutes, that first quarter been for this team so far?
1: Yeah, so if you look at the stats, South Carolina is nearly doubling up its opponents in the first quarter. Uh, They're outscoring them 398 to 202. That's basically equivalent to 23 to 12 per game. That is by far the biggest margin they have per quarter. They've just done an amazing job of coming out and punching people in the mouth. And like you said, it makes it so that they have this cushion to work with you know we always talk about basketball being a game of runs and how much does it really matter when they're going ahead or when they when they're getting these runs I think it matters in the first quarter in terms of especially with a freshman team showing that they can assert themselves and from there on out Don can focus on you know getting them to play hard but it's not a desperation thing you know they are already up big they're already in position and she can afford to rotate in a lot of players. And that's been big, too, is keeping a deep rotation very happy, you know, with getting a lot of people in, shifting all that kind of stuff in.
0: Playing devil's advocate here, obviously, this is a team with eyes on a deep postseason run. They can't all be blowouts. At some point, how important is it? This kind of sounds like an odd question, but how important is it that this team does face some adversity uh, late in games so it can be prepared more for March, particularly with all the freshmen that are going to be on the floor?
1: Yeah, no, that's not not an unfair point. I think that kind of goes back to my last answer, though, in terms of when the seniors are going to be leaned upon most heavily. And they did see at least a little bit of some late tension against Baylor and against Maryland earlier in the year, and they responded pretty well to that. But like you said, and I mean, even as Coach Staley herself has said, when you're dealing with a young team, it's almost like she's waiting with bated breath for things to go wrong and for the freshmen to kind of panic and it hasn't happened yet, and that's I think she said it's a new experience for her. It's almost kind of a little baffling, but just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it won't happen, but we haven't seen it yet, so I don't know.
0: Well, South Carolina next plays Missouri, a game that's, at least over the last couple of years, always circled on the calendar for both teams' respective fan base. That game is in uh, the other Columbia on Thursday at 8.30 as South Carolina looks to move to 5-0 and in SEC play. We'll see if the Gamecocks can continue uh, its streak of 90-plus points. Hey there. Like what you hear? Good news. You can help ensure the state continues making journalism you love to read, watch, and listen to. If you're more into sports than news, you'd probably like our Sports Pass membership, which gives you access to unlimited sports coverage for just $30 for the first year. Subscribe to Sports Pass at thestate.com sportspass. You can also read more Gamecocks news by downloading the Go Gamecocks app or by signing up for our newsletter at thestate.com slash newsletters. Thanks for supporting local journalism. Now, back to today's episode.
1: All right, to turn it back on you, Andrew, you're you're covering the men's team, who is off to a little bit of a rough start in SEC play 0-2 with losses to Florida and Tennessee. Starting with the Florida game, where the Gamecocks never really seemed to be completely out of it, but trailed for most of especially the second half. What went wrong in that game?
0: South Carolina got that game down to, I believe, two around the midway point of the second half and actually had possession while down two. And A.J. Lawson kind of went for the home run play, went for a, an alley-oop attempt to, to Keyshawn Bryant. And I don't know if the communication was off. There was just an errant pass. Whatever it was, the timing was not good and the ball bounced off the backboard. Florida regained it. They scored on the other end, and South Carolina, I think, then proceeded to turn the ball over, I think, three or four times over the next five or six possessions. That stretch right there pretty much summed up the game. I thought South Carolina was competitive. The way that game started, Mike Coatsart was playing really well, uh, but Florida just couldn't miss. And, you know, it was real high scoring. You just wondered, all right, what, what is this game going to look like uh, when it starts to slow down a little bit? Florida really didn't slow down a whole lot. You know, Andrew Nemhard, the point guard for the Gators, a guy who he was a five-star recruit coming out of high school. He's a sophomore now. You know, he had a solid freshman year. I don't know if he had the freshman year that some expected of him. And his his sophomore year, he's really started to come into his own. And what he did against South Carolina – was a couple things. Number one, as Mike White, Florida's coach, admitted afterward was that's the best game he's played in Florida's uniform in one and a half years. But number two, it really exposed where South Carolina's biggest weakness is right now, uh, and that's just at point guard, which is surprising because I thought this team, I think Frank Martin thought this team had enough horses there, had enough options there to figure that out. This is my third year covering this team. I thought entering the year, this was the most solid and stable they were at that spot. Now, that's also a little bit of an indictment on, on the previous years. Now, I think back to that 2017-18 uh, season, the first year post-Final Four, and they were piecing together a bunch of things. Got Wesley Myers, obviously, last second as a, as a grad transfer from Maine. They had him in there. They had Sonny gravett playing point guard out of position. It was a result of some weird circumstances. Obviously, P.J. Dozier going pro, uh, Rothfelder Felder not being on the team. So they had some things that they had to figure out. And then last year's team, they brought in a guy like Trey Campbell to. Georgetown, who was a graduate transfer, who did fine. Did fine enough, but wasn't spectacular by any stretch. And, you know, A.J. Lawson played a little point guard there as a freshman. But I thought going into this year, you had A.J. Lawson, you had Jair Bolden, uh, you had T.J. Moss, and you had Trey Hannibal. And I thought all four of those guys, out of somebody... Uh, would give them not only a good starter but some good depth as well. And it, it just it has not been very good there. And, you know, Frank Martin spoke uh, at his Monday press conference, you know, two games later leading into the Kentucky game about, I asked him about why the shooting has been so poor over the last three or so games. Immediately pointed the point guard play how it's all connected to that, you know, the little things. The pass is not going the right spot. Guy's not catching at the right spot. It's all kind of added up, and, you know, they're still kind of experimenting there. I mean, Jermaine Kuznard, I would expect to get a lot of point guard minutes when South Carolina plays Kentucky. If you're still experimenting at point guard in game number 16, uh, yeah, you got a problem. And I thought they had figured it out after the Houston game when they moved A.J. Lawson, to point guard, put J.R. Bolden off the ball, and it just – It worked good for two games, and for whatever reason, it just has not been there uh, since. And those two guys in particular just are really struggling right now offensively. Uh, I think it's affecting the defense a little bit as well. And there's just not a lot of confidence from two guys that are very, very important to this team's success. I think that's why you're seeing the slide that this team is on right now.
1: You bring up A.J. Lawson, and not to pile on one guy, but he was someone who, coming into this year, was expected to really lead the Gamecocks into a potential first-round 2020 NBA draft pick. And as of late, he has just been really struggling. He's 3-for-19 from the field in his last three games. Against Tennessee, which, flowing into that, that was going to be my next question, he had only four points 0 for 7 from the field and gets called for the last second charge that kind of ends South Carolina's final chance. That Tennessee game and Lawson's playing it was just kind of a bit of a rock fight it seemed like. Really rough game. Tennessee didn't shoot very well but South Carolina kind of let them come away with the win. What What went wrong there?
0: Yeah it was a weird loss for South Carolina in the sense that it really showed how poorly it played offensively.
1: This was the 16th
0: time in the Frank Martin era, which is we're halfway into his eighth season as South Carolina's coach, in which an opponent was held under 30% shooting. This was the first time that opponent beat South Carolina in that kind of game. You know, Tennessee was below 26%, you know, 25.9. So, you know, you can't, when you have an opportunity to beat a, a league team on the road, and you play that well defensively, which I think it did. Tennessee is not does not have the firepower it did of last year's team or the year before. You know, both those teams were you know, SEC title contenders, and you know, last year's team made the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament. This Tennessee team is not that good. I don't know if that, this Tennessee team is going to make the NCAA tournament. So this was, this was a game that was winnable, certainly. South Carolina had a seven-point lead in the second half of this game. Excuse me, eight-point lead, I believe. And then it went on just a brutal uh, offensive stretch. At one point, missed 11 consecutive field goal attempts. And Tennessee, I wouldn't say got hot, but I don't think anybody got hot in that game when it came to shooting the ball. But they made a couple of key three-pointers. that gave them a little life, a little momentum, got that crowd going. And they were able to jump out then to a seven-point lead. They turned an eight-point deficit into a seven-point lead over a span of, I think, around four and a half minutes, something like that. That was kind of the the whole key to to Tennessee's win and, and South Carolina's loss. That stretch right there. Give South Carolina credit for coming back. I thought Jermaine Cousinard really showed that he's a guy that, that Frank can trust a little bit, maybe in late game situations with the ball in his hand. It's simply because he's aggressive. You asked about AJ Lawson. I think the struggles right now are hampering his kind of his drive out there. I don't say he's not playing hard, he's playing hard, but he's not as aggressive to the rim like a guy of that caliber should be. You know he's so quick. Uh, he has such a quick release, and he's a guy who I thought last year, you know, would still drive the ball. He didn't always finish, but he was skinny. He was you know he was only he was a young freshman that reclassified late in the recruiting process. So he figured you know a year in the weight room, things like that, he's able to finish through contact a little better. We're just not seeing that as much. I, you know, I, I don't want to rip. A.J. Lawson's numbers are fine. You know he's averaging you know 15, 16 points a game. You know he's still popping up in mock drafts for next year uh, as a second round pick. There is still a lot of talent there. Uh, he's just in a he's in a rut right now, and uh, obviously it's frustrating for Frank Martin. It's frustrating for A.J. Lawson as well, and they, they just can't figure it out. But uh, you're not going to win as well as they played defensively. You know you would say South Carolina deserved to win that game. The other half is when your starting guards go 0 of 12 from the field, do you really deserve to win a game on the road in SEC play? Probably not. and That's what J.R. Bolden and A.J. Lawson were on Saturday in Knoxville. And uh, it was a rock fight. And it just so happens that uh, Tennessee was better at the free throw line and made a couple more shots when South Carolina did it in the second half. And the game ended essentially on A.J. Lawson's drive up the floor. And was called for a charge. Obviously a bang-bang play. I know South Carolina fans were upset. They thought that John Fulkerson, the Tennessee center, uh, was not set. My argument against I could see that. If it was called either way, I could see it. I, I think that the right call was made just because A.J. Lawson was driving really hard <laughs> on a straight line and kind of just bowled over John Fulkerson and created the contact. And I know he tried to avoid a little bit, kind of turn the shoulder, but I think South Carolina gets a better look there if he's under a little better control. Uh, and, the, and the call came at 1.4 seconds left. Obviously, he didn't have a whole lot of time, but maybe in that situation you get a better look. That's the situation Frank Martin wanted. He didn't want to call timeout, and he just wanted to go. And, hey, A.J. is as quick as anybody in this league. You like his chances there. You just got to give credit to John Fulkerson. That's a heady play from a veteran guy for Tennessee who got in his way and, and drew, the, drew the big charge.
1: All right, looking forward, the Gamecocks welcome Kentucky to Colonial Life Arena on Wednesday. You said on this podcast uh, a week or so ago that the way that this talent and inconsistency of South Carolina is going, you could see them beating Kentucky and then losing to Texas A&M. Can you still see that after this 0-2 start?
0: It's a little harder to see now, just because the wild inconsistency stuff, I don't know how much that narrative plays when... You, know, you do have this three-game losing streak. And what's happened during this three-game losing streak is a reminder of what this team was you know, before those two straight big wins over Clemson and Virginia, and it's just shooting. I mean, this team in this three-game losing streak has been below 40% from the field every game. That's the first time this season. I don't know if this team's good enough defensively right now to overcome that, and the, the, the Kentucky matchup in particular – do I think South Carolina can win? Sure, they got a shot. I mean, you know, they haven't been really blown out in these three losses. You know, the Stetson loss is, is inexcusable. They only lost by seven, but that's just always going to be a head-scratcher. Uh, the Florida loss we talked about, that was a one-possession game anyway through the second half. And in the Tennessee game, you lose by a point, okay? So, sure, they can turn around. Kentucky is now, I think, into the top ten, playing really well. and So it's going to be hard. And what Kentucky has as a strength is obviously South Carolina's weakness. They have Ashton Higgins, who is the best point guard in the SEC. He might be the best point guard in the country right now. He's uh, a guy who does it at both ends. I believe he led the SEC in steals last year. He's really, really good. So how is South Carolina going to stop that when it's still trying to figure out who's playing point guard? That is going to be absolutely the, the matchup to watch. But certainly it's Kentucky. They have studs everywhere. I think in the past, Frank Martin's had some success against Kentucky because he's had older guys against their freshmen a lot of the time, and, it, and it's worked out in South Carolina's favor. The physicality that they played with was not something those young kids from Kentucky were used to. I don't know if that's going to play as much uh, on Wednesday night because this South Carolina team just isn't as physical. You know, They still miss that Chris Silva guy under the basket that that can provide that presence. So, yeah, it, it'll be a tough matchup. Frank Martin said at his Monday press conference, you know, we're – this close and I'm putting my fingers close close together. He doesn't think this team is, is as bad as what it's shown here recently. You know, obviously he knows his team better than anybody else. Maybe that results in a in a win against against the Wildcats. Maybe they get going. But uh certainly right now, that is what this team needs. <laughs> they need a win. This fan base needs a win. There's a lot of things that can change with a victory, but you know, another, another loss, and it'd be the first 0-3 start to SEC play, I think, since Frank Martin's second year. So we knew this would be a tough stretch to begin SEC play. The first five games are brutal. Texas A&M on the road next, then Auburn, and then it kind of lessens. But you've got to be able to somehow come out of this, you know, you'd want to get two wins, at least, in these first five, and then, and then go from there. And, you know, this game's at home, so they'll have their shot.
1: All right, Andrew, as host, do you want to take us out?
0: And that was this week's edition of the Go Game Cox podcast. I'm Andrew Ranspacker, joined today by Greg Hadley. Thanks for listening, and make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.